All right, good morning, church. So, and as far as the night of worship goes, too, on November 3rd that we've just invited you to, um, I'm looking forward to it. I think that Rob actually said he was going to give me a minute to talk, and so I'll turn that into 30 or 40 minutes, something like that. But no, it's always a good time just to gather together to worship, and so please, please, please mark your calendars for that. Also, I need you guys to know this. Um, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the portables to expand our academy. We had this big discussion, and... Last week, we actually, uh, I said, hey, I'm going to give you an update this week. I'm still not going to give you an update this week because some of the um, opposition to the voting, we have not followed up with those conversations yet. We haven't had um, time to get to everybody. And so we're going to continue to walk through that. We have some big decisions to make, and we want to make sure that we're being prayerful about it and we're getting all the information we can possibly get. And so we're still holding on to that for one more week. You guys good with that? Say yes. All right, good. All right, Genesis 42 is where we're going to be. Genesis 42. Um, while you're turning there, my kids and I and my wife last night, we talked on the phone for an hour and a half. And so I got off the phone with them at 11.45. And, and my kids were just asking, um, just question after question after question, talking about what's happening in the world today, um, wanting to know where the prophecies are, what does the Bible say about this. And, and so we just had this super deep conversation and it was really healthy and it was really good, but it sort of wrecked my soul. And I'll tell you two things about it. The first thing is, is I love the fact that my kids are asking questions. Um, but the second thing is, I think that um, just the prophecies that the scriptures point us towards, and even some of the prophecies that are being sealed, they're just all right in front of us. And I think that we're in this position right now as a church body to turn to God's word and begin to seek answers. But I fear sometimes that there is too much stuff on social media. There are too many people out there talking about stuff they have no idea what they're talking about, and it's destructive to some people's souls. And so I just want to warn you. Um, I know that there are some really incredible, insightful things that are out there about the end times of prophecy, and, and people are going to be writing books. And, and I just want you to be cautious about who and what you're listening to, um, because there is a lot of junk out there. And so the scriptures are very clear but it's easy to muddy the water. And so I just want you as our church body to be careful. Can you guys do that? God, I pray you would do just that. Lord, over our church body, Lord, I pray that you would protect our mind, our eyes, our hearts. Lord, captivate us with your truth. Lord, solidify our faith by what we see playing out and, and prophecies that are, are taking place. But Lord, what I pray over this church body is that you would not let us be deceived, not by a, one who looks righteous, but is wicked. Most certainly, Lord, not by one who is wicked, who is trying to wreck the righteous. But Lord, what I pray is your favor and your wisdom to rest on this body. I ask God that we would seek you in all things. I pray, Lord, that we would turn to your word for all things. And that you would allow the power of your spirit that dwells in us as your people to give us an overwhelming discernment. Lord, you classify discernment biblically as a spiritual gift. Lord, would you be gracious enough to bestow that gift upon this body? that we would be discerning to listen to your word. We'd be discerning to know what is right, what is wrong, what is truth, what is false. But Lord, you would let us passionately pursue you and you alone. So God, I pray for your protection over my brothers and sisters as we navigate these times and these days, the events of the world, but Lord, the events in our lives. Father God, I pray that you would protect and let your favor rest on my brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, everybody in the house said, Amen, amen, amen. 
Genesis 42, here's where we're at. It's a pretty easy story to pick up in. It's the story of Joseph. And Joseph's story for us really began and started when he was 17 years old. His brothers despised him because he was a favorite son and his parents showed favoritism. And so they actually took him out. They threw him in a pit and then they sold him as a slave. And from slavery, then he was taken to Egypt where he was sold again, where he was in prison for multiple years. And in prison, he finally interprets a dream for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gets this interpretation and he appoints him as the number two man in all of Egypt, giving him authority, gave him his signet ring, um, put eye makeup on him, all kinds of stuff. They made him the second most powerful person on planet earth. Now this is Joseph's story. Now, while Joseph's story is taking place, there's also a second story. The secondary story that's taking place is actually the story of his family. Those 11 brothers who sold him into slavery and his dad, now his mom had already passed away, but enough his dad. So you've got this story that's brewing as well. And so we're gonna let these two stories today in the scriptures are gonna collide. And as they collide, I believe it makes us, it produces one question. Produces one question, one question. The question that it produces, I was asked this week. My wife went down sick. Um, I've been, we've been married for a long time. I said earlier, 29 years. I think it's 30 years now. I'm not sure. It's been a great time. Time flies when you're having fun. Um, but regardless, I think she went down a couple years ago with COVID. And then beyond that, I don't know, maybe one other time. But she never goes down sick, even when she's sick. Girl doesn't go down. She's the Energizer Bunny. If I get a runny nose, I'm out. Like I'm done. I'm done for weeks. I mean, I get gets a little scab underneath there. I'm done. All right. It's painful. I'm out. But she went down, and so she said, "Hey, why don't you cook dinner?" And I said, "That would be fantastic," because I do this all the time. And uh, I said, "What are, what are you going to do?" She goes, "I'll walk you through it." I said, "Okay." So I made a casserole. So I did. I made a casserole, and so. Um, she had all this stuff out, and so she was kind of talking me through it, and, and she said, go ahead and open that. And so I started opening it, and I stopped for a second, and then she said, and, and she looked at me for just a minute. I turned around and looked at her, and she looked at me, she goes, do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> and I stared at her, and she said, do you understand? And I couldn't answer her, and I told her, I said, just, I, go, I need you to stop talking for just a minute. This is the most stressful event of my life. Just... And there were no kids, you know, hanging on me or licking me. So moms, I just, you're incredible. I just want you to know you are incredible. But regardless, in this moment, she said, do you understand? That's the question that this passage points us to. Do you understand? Let us see what we're supposed to understand. Genesis 42, 1, it picks up and it says, when Jacob, Jacob is Joseph's dad. Those of you who haven't been here, when Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, this is where Joseph is. He's now the second most powerful person in the world, second to Pharaoh there. He said to his sons, these are his other 11 sons, why do you look at one another? In other words, what are you just doing? Like, this is an age old, hey, don't, don't, just, don't just do something. Stand there, you know that whole cliche? Flip it though. Why are you just standing there? Like, what, do something. You guys are just doing nothing. Like we're starving to death and you're just standing around looking at each other. Verse two, and behold, he said, listen, he's basically, what, verse two is like, listen guys, I've heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down there and buy grain for us that we may live. Now their goal here is life. 
Go down there and buy it that we may live. So their mission is to go somewhere, get grain in order that they can live. Now, I want you to know that this is not a, a small task, but these two stories are about to collide. And here's why these two stories are about to collide. They're gonna collide because you've got in Egypt, Remember I talked about this last week, the Nile River, which is a thousand miles long, it starts up in Africa and runs down. Annually, it would flood. And as the Nile River would flood, all of those offshoots produced incredible grain and crops in Egypt. That's how Egypt had their wealth. Cows, the Nile River, and grain. That's how they had their wealth. Well, when Pharaoh had his dream, he had the fat cows, which was years of abundance. That means lots of water. The skinny cows and the drought meant that everything was going to fall apart. Joseph said, we're going to have a good time, lots of produce, and then we're going to have a bad time, no produce. So we need to store up so that we will have an abundance. And that's what they did. They had an abundance in Egypt because Joseph's plan. Now his dad and his brothers had no idea that Joseph had been sold into slavery in Egypt, that he was the second most powerful person in the world, and that he had stored up grain. His dad just had heard. Which, by the way, this is a great moment of faith. Hearing, hearing, and believing. It's faith. He hears this, and he's like, let's go down to Egypt. I want to just historically tie something to you, though, because I found this very fascinating. Um, In the Nile River in Aswan, Egypt, there is actually um, Egyptian... um, It's uh, a... I, I don't even want to, I wish I could read it for you. Go ahead and throw the slide up. I wish I could read it for you because I can't read it for you. But basically, I'm going to give you just a short version of what this says. Why is that on there? There you go. Someone had wrote on that. Um, and so what I want you to, what I want you to see, this is a, these are, this is hieroglyph, hieroglyph of, in Egypt. So just right there. I wish I could read it to you. But basically what this is saying, this little picture right here is telling us a story. This is in currently modern day today. This actually sits on the bank of the Nile River, which would have flooded at the time. And it says that there was a seven-year drought followed by a famine in the land. This is still there this very day. And I only want to point that out because when we start talking about sometimes things that happened in the Bible, to see things historically that are surfaced are fascinating to me. And so that modern day is in the Nile River in Egypt. And it explains what took place. So I just think it's really cool. The second thing I want to tell you is if the famine had hit in Egypt where the Nile River provided all of the grain, you can't imagine what it was like in Canaan. I'll get there in just a moment. Let's keep going here. Listen to this in verse 3. So 10 of Joseph's brothers, remember he has 11 other brothers, just 10 of his brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob, in verse 4, did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother. Now, this is important. Benjamin is Joseph's brother. It's his only full full brother. Now, he had 10 other brothers, but they were from different moms. Remember, Jacob had four wives. So Jacob's four wives, just to remind you, Leah, which you may remember, she um, she wasn't very easy to look at. That's what the Bible said. And so that means she just wasn't a looker. And then Rachel, who he loved. And then he had uh, Bilhah and Zilpah. So he had those four wives. But Rachel he loved. And with Rachel, he had two kids. He had Joseph and Benjamin. Well, Rachel has passed away. And Joseph also, in his mind as a dad, he had lost his son several years ago. So the only thing left from the love of his life was Benjamin. 
There's no way he's going to send Benjamin on a 250, 300-mile journey out of his sight because the last thing on planet Earth of his beloved wife, it's all he had left of Rachel. That's it. Now, you would think he would learn a lesson about showing favoritism after what happened to, <laughs> to Joseph, but he doesn't. So he's going to hold on to him. It's like he's not going anywhere. So verse 5, thus the sons of Israel, they came to buy among the others who came. So everybody's coming to Egypt to buy because the famine in the land of Canaan. In Canaan. So not only was there famine in Egypt where the drought was, but in Canaan. In fact, it was probably, it wasn't probably, it was more severe in Canaan because of the way Canaan was actually built. Egypt had the upper hand on the entire region because they had the Nile River and all the offshoots. Hear this. Israelites are going to ultimately land in Egypt. So spoiler alert here. And after they're there, they're going to be sent away. They're going to actually going to be freed. They're going to, Pharaoh, let my people go. So they're going to leave. And when they leave, God says these words to them. This is in Deuteronomy. So I'm fast forwarding 400 something years here. But in Deuteronomy chapter 11, it says this. It says, for the land that you are entering to take possession, which by the way, so this is God speaking to the Israelites, to the Hebrew people, He's saying, it is not like Egypt. The land that I'm about to give you, you're about to take, what's it say? This land right here is at war today. This land today, right now, you turn on the news, this land is at war. Israel and Hamas, Hezbollah, they're at war. It's still that land, which I think is crazy. But he says, from you, from which you came, so Egypt is good, where you sowed seed and irrigated it. And the Hebrew actually says, uses this word where you actually sowed seed with foot pumps. In other words, they irrigated their crops out of their ponds using foot pumps. And so they would take foot pumps to water all of their grain and all their crops. He says, you're going to a place that's not like Egypt where you have an abundance of water. In fact, look what he says to them here. As they're leaving Egypt as slaves, He's giving them the promised land in verse 11, but the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, look at this, which drinks water by the rain. So the only way Canaan got water was rain. Two things to note here. Number one, they were going to be 100% dependent upon God in order that they would have any sort of water or life. They had to depend on God. Number two that I would want you to note, take note here is if there is no rain in Africa and in Egypt, I assure you there was no rain in Canaan either. The Nile River is run dry. Canaan was suffering far longer than it took the Nile River to dry up. And so their drought, their famine would have been so severe and so much longer, it's, un, it's unthinkable. And now Joseph in verse six, while his brothers are in this incredible famine, he had stored up all of the food in the harvest for seven years. It says, now Joseph was the governor over the land. This is Egypt. So he was a governor over Egypt. Pharaoh appointed him there. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and they bowed themselves down before him with their faces on the ground. So Joseph's brothers come and they bow down to him. The same brothers who sold him into slavery are now bowing down to him. If you've been tracking with us, do you remember Joseph's first dream? His first dream were the sheaves, the bundles of grain. He told his brothers, I had a dream and there were these bundles of grain. Your bundles of grain bowed down to me. 
They were mortified. They hated him. It says they hated him, hated him, hated him. And then he had another dream that there were 11 stars that all bowed down to him. He told his brothers about that as well. They hated him even more, the Bible says. Well, now he's standing there and his brothers are bowed down in front of him and he holds all the sheaves that the world could ever desire behind him. So it's kind of crazy, but he doesn't even recognize it yet. In verse, wherever I'm at next, seven. In verse seven, it says this to us. Verse seven says, Joseph saw his brothers and he recognized them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. This word roughly is, is interesting the way it's translated because some scholars believe not just that he spoke harsh to them, but he was only speaking Egyptian to them. So the word roughly would mean um, harsh and or a different language. There's an interpreter, so you can take whatever interpretation you want. But he says to them, where did you come from? He said, and they said, the land of Canaan, and we just simply came to buy food. Well, in verse 8, it tells us that Joseph recognized his brothers. But they didn't recognize him. And they couldn't recognize him. Remember last week? He had shaved his head because that was Egyptian custom. He shaved the beard off, which that was Hebrew custom. It actually became Hebrew law. He shaved his beard off. And so I told you last week they had dressed him up somewhere between Aladdin and Snoop Dogg. They had an Aladdin costume and all the gold necklaces. They got eye makeup on him, lipstick, I mean, eyebrows. They got, I mean, Egyptians like Egyptians. He didn't just talk like an Egyptian. The dude was walking like an Egyptian. The whole thing was all set for him. And they didn't recognize him. Completely unrecognizable. But he recognized them. And then Joseph, in verse 9, remembered the dream that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, no, 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 you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. You've come to see the nakedness. Now, the nakedness is, again, translation-wise, let me bring you into the fold here, because translation-wise, it would have said the weakness of the land. You have seen, you're coming to see how you can get into the land, because this is what's crazy. In Egypt at the time, they possessed all of the grain. People from all over the world were coming to them, and so they had done something crazy. I know this is ridiculous, but they had built border around all of Egypt, and this border was actually guarded, and no one could come in without proper paperwork. Isn't that crazy? But I mean, but like that, you're talking, this is 4,000 years ago. People, it's, it's different times now. Safer. It's just safer. I will tell you this, though. I just saw, can I, I'm just, so just let me freestyle for a second. Um, this gets me in trouble, but here I go. So I was watching this thing, and, and there were like uh, 15 Syrians picked up at the border. And they were picked up at the border, and they were all, where are you going? They said, I'm going to New York. I'm going to New York. I'm going to Texas. I said, come on. I'm going to Kansas. They had all these different places that they're going. And it was just men. That's all that was there was just men. And the guy that was actually doing this commentary on this, he was, he's a military guy. In fact, I believe he's a Navy SEAL. And he said, now here's the deal. If I'm escaping hardship, famine, I got my family with me to protect them. I'm taking my family with me, but these guys were all alone. He says, but can I tell you, when I go to war, my family stays and I go. And he said, I just can't help but to tell you that these are soldiers coming to wage war in our country, which of course he then says, which I'm fine with. Here's where I live. And he told him where he lived, which is awesome. So any rate, I do think, though, it's crazy to look at this moment in the Scripture and say they had these borders that were trying to be protected, and he's accusing them of wanting to cross over illegally. Not legally, but illegally. Verse 10, they said to him, no, 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 my Lord, we're, we're servants, we're your servants. We just simply come by food. 
We are all sons of one man in verse 11. We are honest men. <laughs> At this, I gotta imagine Joseph was like. Because <clears throat> let me just give you a little secret. If you have a friend or family member, anyone in your life, who sells someone into slavery, they're not an honest person. Okay, there's a problem. And he knew this. And his servants, we've never been spies. So then let me keep going. In verse 12, he goes on and he said to them, no, 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 no. It is the weakness of our country. It is the gates you're looking for in the land. You have come to see the nakedness, how you can come in and how you can go out. You're spies. And they said, no, verse 13, we are servants. We're just simply 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, our youngest is this day with our father. And one is no more. Now, the one that is no more is Joseph. They're talking to him. And he's thinking in his head, well, where's Benjamin at? If the youngest is, why, why didn't you bring Benjamin? Why is he with dad? What's, what's going on? And so Joseph, out of curiosity, says to them, nah, it's as I said, you're spies. I know it. I know it. You're he's just messing with them at this point. Literally just messing with them. Verse 15, by this, you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh. He's actually swearing on the name of Pharaoh here. You shall go out from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. So you shall not go out. He's like, I'm going to kill you unless you bring your brother. He's going to say it more direct here in a second. Verse 16, send one of you, let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there are truth, whether there's truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So you have to understand that he has just told them, go get your brother or you will die. You will not leave this place, you will die. Well, the whole reason they came was for grain in order that they could have what? Life, life. And so this is messing up their entire plan. And so in this interaction that they're having going on here, they're, they're beginning to question a lot. It says in verse 17, it says, he put them together in custody for three days. Three days always captures my attention in the scriptures. Numbers capture my attention in the scriptures because God is a God of order and he uses numbers often. But the fact that three days are used, Jesus was in the tomb for three days before he came out, but the three days gets my attention. And in these three days, they were put there to ponder and to think about what it looks like. Now I need you to understand when he says they took custody, this word custody, if you track this down, it means that they were held. And when they would be held, they would have been held in what was called a pit or prison. For three days, they suffered what they did to him. He's like, go ahead and I want you to see what it feels like. And he put them in the pit and they're there and they are processing and they are thinking. Do you ever have, you ever have moments where you just think your mind won't stop thinking? You ever mind, where you just, your mind won't shut down. You're just constantly going, just going, just going. I had a terrible headache this week. It was in the middle of the night. I got up, I took Excedrin migraine, which has caffeine in it, apparently. And so I am just laying there, just hours, just staring. And I found something, two things fascinating. Number one, my bedroom light does not turn off. It's an LED light. And so as long as it's fancy one, it glows like the moon. And when you have a headache, it really is bright. Second thing is our minds are fascinating and the more we let them just wander, man, they will run, won't they? Worst case scenario in every situation, our minds will just run. Their minds are running. And on the third day, verse 18, Joseph said to them, hey, do this. What was their goal? And you will live. Now this would have shocked them though. For I fear God. 
Now remember, he's in a pagan land where the king, Pharaoh, believes that he is a god. And he's saying, I fear God. Do this and you'll live. But when he said, I fear God, he would not have used Pharaoh's name. He would have used the name of God, Yahweh. Some people believed he used, some people believed he used um, Elohim. But regardless, whatever name he used, he would have used a, rendi- he used a rendition Hebrew name. The way it's translated, anyways, it was a traditional Hebrew name. It would have caught their attention. It would have been like, wait, what? Just shocking. Just completely shocking. But the shock wouldn't have stopped there. He says in verse 20, bring your youngest brother to me. Oops, I'm sorry. Go to verse 19. He says, if you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined. So he's going to keep one of them and he's going to send nine back where you're in custody. And the rest can go off, carry grain for the famine of your households. So he's like, look, you're gonna, I'm going to give you grain. But go back, you're going to bring your youngest brother, verse 20, and bring your youngest brother to me. He wanted to see Benjamin. He wanted to see his brother. He wanted actually all of his brothers to be standing in front of him at one time. Now, he wanted his brothers to be standing in front of him at one time for different reasons than I would have wanted my brothers standing to me at one time, because I would have had a word for them or a fight for them. But he's going to offer something completely different. He's going to offer something completely different. Verse 21 they said to one another, so they, they huddled up like, okay, here's the deal. In the truth, we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul. And when he begged us and we did not listen to him, this is why this distress has come upon us. They are taking responsibility like, like we caused this. This is a problem. Like we've caused a big problem. All of this is because of what we did to Joseph. All of it is. In fact, it goes on next verse. Reuben answered, he said, look, guys, didn't I tell you not to sin against Joseph, the boy? But you didn't listen to me. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. He's saying, Reuben is saying, which is the oldest brother, is saying, what goes around comes around. And guys, we're getting to us what we did to him. Now at this, Joseph gets this. Joseph gets this. Come to verse um, 23. They did not know that Joseph understood them. Again, he's got the eye makeup on and all that. They had no idea that he spoke Hebrew. And they're having this conversation because he had been using an interpreter between them, an interpreter. Now, the interpreter probably was standing there going, oh boy, because he would have known his history. He would have known where Joseph came from. He would have known how he was appointed. He would have known that he was a Hebrew dressed up like an Egyptian. And so he knew that he could understand them. So I wonder what he was thinking. But I will tell you, the first time I ever used an interpret, interpreter to preach, I don't even remember where I was. I think it was in Managua. Um, I'm not sure. Or Nicaragua. I'm not sure where I was at. But I had an interpreter. And there's only a couple hundred people in the room. And I was terrible at it. I'm talking. And then they're talking. I don't know what they're saying. I feel like they're talking. They're saying way more words. It's like, that's not what I said at all. Like, it was just, I could feel it was a disaster going on. And so I finally get to the very end. And I, I was getting to the end. And I said, I just, do you guys know, if you've, have you repented of your sins? Have you ever had a point where you knew that you had sinned against God and you've confessed your sin because you knew that Jesus went to the cross, he was buried in a grave for three days, but on the third day he rose. Just as he took your death on his shoulders, he offers life, not just life, but life in abundance when you put your faith in him. Have you repented and given your life to Jesus? If you have done that, I want you to stand. If you haven't ever done that and you want to do that today, I want you to stand your feet. And so the whole room, the entire room stood up. I was like, I knew this guy wasn't repeating me. 
So I said, okay, I, they didn't, I said, they didn't understand. So I did it again. If you have repented of your sin, deeply sorrowful that you sinned against God, knowing that you want to truly change your life, you can't be the same. By the way, disciples, if you can't be the same, it's, everything changes when we know his goodness. If that is you today and you need to accept Christ as your Savior, you're ready to receive him today. It happens by confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You confess him and you will be saved. And so I clearly spelled it out. I said, if that is you and you want to accept Jesus today, I want you just to simply kneel right where you are. And every person in the room went to their knees. I'm like, okay, okay, they don't understand. So, and I started to go again and my interpreter stopped me. He said, hey, hey, hey. They understand. <laughs> I'm like, okay. But I didn't think they understood. And I think sometimes when I see passages like this, and I'm about to get there, I don't know that I think we understand. I'm not sure that we understand. I'm not sure that we understand. Verse 24, they then Joseph turned away and he wept. Six times in his interaction with his brothers, he's gonna weep. And he turned and he returned to them and he spoke to them and he said, and then watch this, he took Simeon and he bound them before their eyes. He took Simeon. Why do you think he took Simeon? Interesting little side note here. It has nothing to do with where I'm going with the question I need you to answer. Do you understand? But Simeon, let me tell you why. Reuben was the oldest brother. If you remember the story when Joseph was actually sold into slavery, they put him in a pit. Reuben went back because he said, surely we can't kill him or let him die. Reuben went back and when he went back, he was like, ruh row, he gone. Like he's out. And so he goes back to his brothers and it's like, guys, we got a problem. Joseph gone. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we, we know, we know. Well, Simeon was the second born and Simeon was there when he was sold into slavery. So Simeon would have been the one held responsible because he was the oldest and he should have been the one taking responsibility. And so Simeon is the one that's bound, not Reuben. And so he binds Simeon up. And then it says this in verse 25, and Joseph gave orders, listen to this, to fill their bags with grain, give them all they can have, replace every man's money in a sack. So don't take any money for this. Dinner's on me tonight. And then look at this. And then he gave them provisions for their journey. And all of this was done. So he gave them grain. He gave them the money, which means he purchased it. He purchased it himself. And then he gave them provisions enough for their trip. Now, when I've read stories about this passage, Anytime I've ever heard anybody preach on this passage, actually, for that matter. Verse 26, it says, they loaded their donkeys with their grain and they departed. I always hear this story. As they departed, books, commentary, everybody always points our eyes back to, look, if Joseph can forgive his brothers for everything that they did, look how he forgave them. He forgave them enough to give them grain. He gave them their money back. He gave them provisions. How forgiving of a heart does he have? Everybody say, wow, very forgiving. The question always leads back to, well then, who in your life do you need to forgive? I can show you right now, I've got six books sitting on my desk dealing with this story and every single one of them lead to the question, if Joseph can't forgive, who should you forgive? And every one of them, I, I'm not kidding you when I tell you, I threw two books across the room this week. I'm like, I read it, stupid, ridiculous. 
Because this is the part of the problem with the Western church. This is part of the reason that many of us struggle in our faith journey is because we've turned everything about us. This story has nothing to do with you forgiving someone else. All of the story of Joseph is built and wired into scripture so that we can see the nature and the character of God, namely his desire to send a Messiah who's going to come. Joseph is a mirror image. Everything in Joseph's story is mirroring what Jesus is ultimately going to do for us. From being sold for pieces of silver, as Jesus was, Joseph was. As being taken into slavery, as Joseph was, Jesus was. Beaten, Jesus was beaten while he was enslaved. He was hung on a cross while he was enslaved. And hanging on that cross, the very people who had sold him into slavery, the very people who had pounded the nails into his hands, the people who drove the crown of thorns into his head, he proclaimed out loud, God, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Forgive them. He's offering a forgiveness that no mind can comprehend. You sell me into slavery, I'm gonna punch you in the mouth. In the name of Jesus. I'm not gonna forgive you. Has nothing to do with you forgiving people. This is a picture of a loving, gracious God who is willing to forgive. This passage is pointing us to the fact that we are the brothers who have betrayed Jesus. Joseph. We've betrayed Jesus by sinning against God. And that sin separates us. And we should forever be living in a dry, famine, drought land of Canaan. But instead, God gives us the provision and the ability to journey to a place like this here or wherever it is that you came to know the Lord and confess Jesus as your Lord. And at that repentance and at that calling on the name of Jesus, God offers you the unthinkable. Forgiveness. So the question that this passage points us to is do you truly understand that you've been forgiven? Do you really understand that you've been forgiven? Because I deal with a lot of people who live in the past and they wanna keep bringing up the past. It's gone, you have been forgiven. I deal with a lot of people who think, well, I just, I'm really trying hard to get through this or get, you have been forgiven. I deal with a lot of people whose lives, yes, I'm a believer, but they don't live their life like they love Jesus or like they're following Jesus at all. And it's because I don't know that they understand what he did for them. They might sing a song about it, they hear a crazy bald guy with a glistening head because he's sweating talk about it, but they haven't actually took it in for themselves. My fear was that I was gonna mess up this casserole. My fear was that my interpreter was just saying, just making junk up. My fear is that if I share this even today, that you don't understand the level of forgiveness that he truly offers you when you confess your sins, you repent of your sin, and you call upon the name Jesus, your sin, past, present, and future, wiped away, gone, in order that you can come into the very presence of God and pray, worship, study his word, and live a life that is going to please him. His forgiveness is real. His forgiveness is powerful. His forgiveness is free. And I need you to understand it is for you. It is for me. And this passage it's not about who do you forgive. This passage is about the one who forgave you. If you will receive it, he will forgive you. God, I praise you in this room today that this passage of scripture points us, it illuminates 
your desire to offer forgiveness. It illuminates your desire and your love for us. And so God, what I pray in this room is that it would fall on every heart of the men and women and children in this room, that we would be individuals who seek repentance. We would be individuals who seek your word. We would seek to please you. We would seek to be worshipers of you. And Lord, the very first step in all of this is if we understand what you've truly done for us. Not what we do for you. We are not self-righteous. We are not works-based. Lord, we, we push that aside. It's what you have done for us. And so with your heads bowed and your eyes closed right now, I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna encourage you. Today, if you have reached a point in your life where you know that you need to repent of your sin, you know that you need to receive the forgiveness that God alone offers. I'm gonna ask you to specifically be bold enough to go to our prayer room, which is over to my right. I'm gonna ask you to go over there and just tell someone, I know that he's forgiven me, but I need to know what's next. Or I need someone to pray for me. I want you to go over there and seek this. I'm not gonna lead you through a prayer today because I'm fearful that as I lead through a prayer of salvation, that you're gonna pray words that are never gonna change your heart. Or you're gonna pray words that you feel like are just good enough. Guys, this is a personal relationship that God wants to have with you. And it starts with you getting on your face before him, repenting of your sins and calling upon him in the name of Jesus. If that's you today, there's a tug on your heart. That's the Holy Spirit tapping on your heart. There's a little nudge in your soul knowing I know that I'm lost. I know that I need, I know that I need to receive Christ today. I know that's what I need to do. I'm gonna tell you that your steps are gonna lead you forward to this prayer room and let us walk you through this. God, I love you for giving us your son. I love you for giving us life. I love you for giving us forgiveness. I praise you for your graciousness. And in this place today, God, I thank you that my brothers and sisters can see the truth and they can know that you are a God who offers forgiveness for those who seek it. Won't you let us be men and women who seek it in the name of Jesus. Everybody in the house said, amen, amen, amen.